Chapter Nine of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Charm of Wincanton. It was Tuesday morning before I left Wincanton. My design had been to push on somewhere or other with every day, and I had, indeed, made the usual start eastward on Monday but loitering about the narrow steep alleys of the old place enjoying its placidity its grey mediaevalism in the crisp sparkling sunlight the minutes had drawn out imperceptibly two hours and nightfall had found me still there less inclined than ever to turn my back upon it to me the charm of wincanton lay in its stately self-sufficiency and its manifest indifference to whatever strangers might happen to be within its gates thriving well-to-do even go-ahead in a certain old-fashioned unobtrusive style it was yet plain enough that the twentieth century had made little mark on it the place still held staunchly to old times still cherished the national hatred of guy fawkes still went about its business in the ancient hearty country way civil to strangers yet caring little either for their presence or their bounty i found myself free in the truest sense to wander about unobserved and unmolested to get into brown studies at odd street corners and generally to play the note-taking chill to my heart's content it is outside the purpose of an itinerary so wilfully unconventional as this to deal with the towns chanced upon in the journey and i must leave wincanton with just this brief word but i came upon one little gem which was well worth resetting it was a signboard on a tiny house in one of the most secluded corners of the queer zigzag old place and i give it with all its perfections on its head alfred jordan chimney sweep and fire defender do live here i contend your orders and charge not too dear with brush and scraper and machine i do my work both neat and clean if your smoke-jacks are the worse for wear send to me and i will put them in repair patronized by royalty the weather had changed while i tarried in wincanton the wind had gone round to the cold quarter and the air bit with a surprising sharpness on my face as i climbed the eastern hill out of the town though the sunshine poured from a cloudless blue sky every shadow was white with frost in a single night winter had driven her keen lance right into the heart of the smiling elderly season as soon as i was clear of the town i chose a sunny corner in the hedgerow where there was a convenient block of stone to sit on and got out my maps i learned with something like a start that i had travelled right through the southern part of somerset and that the wiltshire boundary 
was only three or four miles away the rapid progress i had made perturbed me greatly i saw that i had been suffering from the dread modern ailment speed fever without knowing it and from that time forward i registered a vow and faithfully kept to it that i would accept a lift in nothing that went above walking pace with this commendable resolve fresh upon me i now became aware of a very low and distant rumbling as of thunder in the air there was a robin just over my head singing so energetically that at first i thought i was mistaken in the sound but it gradually gained in strength and at last i guessed its meaning it must be a traction engine lumbering up the hill from the town presently a sooty man turned the corner of the road trudging along with a rolled-up red flag tucked away under his arm and then the great grinding clanging monster hove into view breathing forth smoke and sparks against the blue of the morning and towing behind it a whole trainload of agricultural gear there was a threshing machine like a mammoth noah's ark next to the engine behind this came the travelling way rearing its giant skeleton arm into the tree-tops and scraping off whole sackfuls of leaves as it went then followed a big black box on wheels with windows and a chimney to it which was house and home to the men of the thrashing gang finally came the water-cart astride of which sat three or four of the company contentedly smoking their pipes in the cheery sunshine and cracking jokes as they went i took stock of the engine driver as he approached and liked the build of him he had merry blue eyes set deep in a clever soot-begrimed face he smoked a briar pipe with a straight stem which is always a sign of the companionable disposition crooked pipe men are ordinarily reserved or at least diffident and inclined to regulate conduct by second thoughts a fatal habit in chance camaraderie but this one had no curved pipe hesitation about him it was useless to shout in such a din all i could do was to sign to him that i wanted to take passage in his thundering argosy he flashed me a grin that showed a splendid double row of white teeth the next moment i had gripped his outstretched coal-black hand and had been hauled up into the cab of the engine landing into the arms of both driver and stoker rather flustered and very much out of breath looking back now on that morning's ride i am inclined to rank it among the serenest most placidly enjoyable of all my lift experiences a sack was spread on the coal bunker and i was hoisted up onto it out of the way connected talk with my fellow travellers was impossible we could do no more than exchange polite shouts at intervals 
and as both driver and stoker were busy enough with the management of the engine and were forced to keep their backs turned to me nearly all the time we soon gave up this vociferous exercise thenceforward i sat on the coals looking about me studying the working of the engine and quaking like a jelly from top to toe i have said that the experience was a serenely enjoyable one and this is by no means so paradoxical as it looks i was in a vortex of deafening sound my eyes vibrated in their sockets i sat open-mouthed because only in this way could my teeth be dissuaded from mutual destruction but the steady rhythmic throb of the machinery had a strangely ordering and composing element about it in a little while the chaos resolved itself into its true parts once i had got the key to all its necessary uproar and vehemence my mind settled down to a tranquil enjoyment of the situation the watch in my pocket could go about its lilliputian work of time measuring on silken tiptoe and at a whisper but thunderstorms and faith and traction engines are built on a vaster plan if ever faith succeeds in moving the mountain all the world will need to stop its ears we kept the main road for about three miles and then slowed down to execute a difficult manoeuvre this was to turn into a lane almost at right angles to our previous course i have watched pilots take great ocean-going steamers through intricate soundings and into narrow dock gates but never saw such anxious self-reliant skill as our engineer displayed when he coaxed his long train round that corner there were trees to dodge a signpost to avoid deep ditches flanking both roads to be kept out of a few inches miscalculation in the angle of approach would have meant disaster or at least a tedious dismemberment of the whole train and perhaps long delay for with such a load backing is well-nigh impossible but at the first try we struck the right curve to a hair's breadth slowly the engine dragged its ponderous tail after it a shower of leaves came eddying down as the long arm of the travelling way ripped through the branches overhead the water-cart got its wheel on the bank lurched dangerously but righted again slowly and surely the train straightened itself and with something very like a snort of mingled triumph and relief the engine lunged forward once more on a free throttle and began pounding up the farther hill i had read the name on the signpost as we passed it was Penzelwood and Penzelwood was as good as any other place for me so long as it lay in the back country that i loved whither the threshing gang was bound i had not troubled to inquire asking questions was such a throat-splitting business but our destination proved not far ahead 
in half an hour or so we came abreast of a farmhouse standing in a little township of cornricks and drew to a halt the sudden silence and stillness that now enveloped me was almost terrifying i felt as if the world itself had stopped dead in mid-space and the next thing would be the last trump call and the immediate dissolution of all things i climbed down from the cab of the engine like a man in a dream but finding myself a prey to pins and needles in both feet and a decided grogginess in all other members i became assured of the normality of my surroundings and stamped myself back into the wingless mundane wanderer again the engineer was standing close by cleaning his hands on a bundle of cotton waste we are going in here he said and as we shall stop three or four days you will hardly care to wait for us i looked at him astounded the voice was the voice of a gentleman and now as he threw open the coat of his greasy blue jean slops he displayed a gold watch chain and a suit of clothes that would have passed muster on brighton parade he guessed the reason of my blank look and laughed to himself quietly oh yes he said we can't trust the ordinary mechanic to bring out the tackle to these out-of-the-way farms it needs great care as you have seen my father is the largest engine owner for miles round and there are four of his sons all driving somewhere or other to-day we are a pretty hard-working family when he had removed as much of the grease from his hands as would come off he gave me a wincing farewell grip and turned busily to the work awaiting him i watched the whole reverberating procession of juggernauts until it disappeared round the corner of the farm then took the road eastward a solitary tramp again there is an old belief upborne by nature poets and prosers alike that the year passes from one season to another by infinite degrees summer is but the completed spring autumn only a gradual surrender and winter the negation of life cometh through endless imperceptible backslidings but the fallacy of this idea must soon be evident to any one living much out of doors throughout the year the truth is that with most years there is a very real and sharp demarcation between one season and another nature chooses her day sometimes her hour when the change is brought about and for each change she has her token it is the apple bloom with which she signs away the youth of spring you may go to bed taking a last look at it swaying beneath your window in the moonlight breeze like snow caught and upheld in mid-air by invisible gambolling fairies and you may well link the earth in your dreams with an eternal juvenility but to-morrow 
summer new-born as is his wont to his full free stature may be astride the world and all a blossom blenched and falling it is the same with summer itself a year comes sometimes when the change is so deliberate that it can be followed almost leaf by leaf when you can go abroad the book of the old play in your hands and check off one by one each dwindling word of the finale but most often summer dies like a shot bird the one moment a soaring miracle of colour and life the next a draggled dead thing in the grass with the hectic of decay already bright upon it i had left the far devon coast autumn winning all along the red cliff line had caught up the summer again in the slow-going sheltered inland valleys and now ever drawing away from the temperate land of the west i found myself once more in the midst of a new country and a new season as i went along the tree-locked lanes red leaves spangled the path before me a rain of them fell about my ears with every touch of the urging wind thousands more were getting ready above to let go their year-long anchorage gold from the elms russet red from the beeches pale umber from the oaks all lay squandered on the path ahead or filled the sunbeams with flecks of glancing twirling colour i looked for nature's sign of the changed times and soon found it the ash that ventures last of all the forest trees into timorous furtive leaf is always the first to abjure its lightly held summer convictions it gives us no transitional hues with it there is none of the picturesque obsequies the dying and golden purple of its deciduous brethren but at the first sharp nip of the frost it casts its whole panoply of green sprays ingloriously to earth and is already abjectly naked to the breeze while yet oak and elm and beech have hardly surrendered a single ingot of their glory there is a certain philosopher who teaches that not man alone but all living creation possesses the germ of immortal soul the midget whose span of earthly life is but an hour's dance in the sunshine the tortoise who dozes a century the dog we loved and the horse that carried us the flower in the crannied wall and the mighty oak hail still under the weight of hundreds of years all have their hereafter of more airy dancing or willing service or state of use and beauty well if this be so with what face will the ash draw nigh to the gate of the eternal garden you can be sure of the hazel for it hung out its green catkins bravely in the chill of the february day and the little colt's foot for it coloured the banks long before any other flower dared show a petal and the oak for it held up against a thousand winter storms 
but what of the ash that would not trust the sunshine with a single leaf until april was done and that cried craven with the earliest passing chill of november i left the brittle-minded graceless thing standing naked and unashamed in the midst of its discarded finery and trudged on over the ever-thickening carpet of the lane End of chapter 9